Did God use evolution to create all life on this planet? Today, we're going to be hearing from David Harrison about theistic evolution. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. So this podcast, first of all, I want to apologize for not releasing any podcasts uh, in a timely fashion. Uh, I just got back from an apologetics conference in Roundup, Montana uh, with uh, Jason Oaks. Jason Oaks has has been a uh, guest on this podcast multiple times, and I would imagine he'll be a guest on here many more times in the future. Good friend. Uh, We had or held an apologetics conference at his church, uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana. It's round one. It is the first time we've ever tried to do this. Um, it was kind of interesting, just a little bit to let you know what we did. Um, most of the speakers were not live and in person. Uh, the, the, the majority of the speakers were actually uh, very similar to Skype, but a program called Zoom, they were Zoomed, in and so there was a big screen and uh, their face would pop up on the screen and then they would give their talk from the screen now um, yeah it's it's cooler to have people there in person but here's where the advantage is uh, there is some amazing advantages by doing it this way because a now you don't have to pay to have these speakers flown in and their hotel and, you know, uh, an offering and, and such, you know, that that's a big deal. That's kind of hard to do. So now a person can, or a couple guys like Jason Oaks and Michael Bohm can get together and contact an amazing group of apologetic slash worldview type speakers, bring them together in a conference and then have them as a guest at the conference. Yes, you won't be able to uh, press palms with a lot of these guys, but hey, I mean, it's such a cool idea. And then beyond that, then we can use that same program Zoom to live stream uh, to anybody who wants to watch online. So a really cool idea we had. um, We learned a lot of things. Some things we didn't do perfectly and other things worked out really well. It It was a success. In my opinion, it turned out to be a really cool success and I'm very excited about it. So uh, anyway, that's what I've been up to over the last couple of weeks is just getting prepared for that. Uh, but now I'm back in action. Um, I've got three podcasts uh, in a row basically done here with David Harrison talking about theistic evolution. And I've got a whole line of cool speakers uh, that have already agreed to come on the podcast. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that. There's a lot to come. I'm very excited about that. And so today, yeah, we're going to be talking to David Harrison. He's been on the podcast before. We talked about uh, dinosaurs in the Bible and had a really good uh, feedback on that. Uh, th- those, I think it was two episodes, something like that. And today we're going to be talking theistic evolution. Now, 
Something interesting about this episode and the next two to come is for the first time ever, I used my Yeti Blue microphone and switched it to a setting that allowed me to interview a person uh, face-to-face. So we're not doing this over Skype, which is normal uh, for this podcast. We're actually doing a face-to-face. Um, it, it's, it's got a different dynamic to it. I guess one of the drawbacks is you're going to hear my dog, my black lab, Buford, on our linoleum, uh, or I'm sorry, laminate floors, walking around the room several times. So there's a little bit of that, some background noise, um, but uh, it doesn't happen too much. I think it happens several times towards the beginning of the podcast, and then Buford walks over and lays down on his bed and goes to sleep, and then everything is good. Uh, there might even be a couple uh, guest appearances of my cat, Mog. I think he, he chimes in a couple times. But other than that, I think it's it's pretty clean. There's not a whole lot of distractions. I think at one point a mailman walks by and uh, Buford goes ballistic and starts barking at the door. But uh, <laughs> it's not too bad. Uh, you know, hey, it's it's real, okay? So anyway... That is that. Let's go ahead and jump in and hear this interview with uh, David Harrison on theistic evolution. All right. So, David Harrison, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, friends, today we're going to be talking about theistic evolution. What is it? Uh, David, what is theistic evolution? Well, theistic evolution... uh we're going to take a look at that today because I don't think there's quite an easy answer. But essentially, it says um, it takes the worldview of naturalistic progressive evolution, which is molecules to man, billions of years. And it says what basically where can we insert God to make it make sense with with the Bible? Um, so in some senses, it's a God of the gaps theology. For example, where did the universe come from? Well, science can't answer that, but God can. Uh, Where did life come from? Well, science can't answer that, so we're going to put God there too because we need him for these occurrences because, you know, the origin of life from non-life is a supernatural process. It's outside of scientific observation, and it defies natural laws to have life come from non-life anyway. So, um, but they also would agree that um, the events of say Genesis one and two are not, they're not real people. So Adam and Eve are not real individuals, um, for theistic evolution. And we're going to get into, uh, theistic evolution, old earth creation and young earth creation, or I also like to call it supernaturalism. All right. And so, um, when I talk with people, I often say, I'm a supernatural creationist and a degenerative evolutionist. And they're like, <laughs> what does what? that mean? <laughs> so supernatural creationist holds to there's a creator and the way he behaves is supernatural. He's not bounded by naturalistic processes, laws. He supersedes all that cool stuff. Um, doesn't mean he doesn't work within those at times, um, but he's not bound to those. Uh, degenerative evolution, basically, if you ask most scientists, do you believe in evolution? They're like, yeah. Well, what is it? It's change. So natural progressive evolution says 
That change is from molecules to man. It's progressive, upward, more complex. Degenerative evolution theory says that the change is downward. Uh, mutations are loading up, causing uh, genetic extinction. Um, mm -hmm. Speciation mm -hmm. doesn't lead to new kinds and types of creatures. <clears throat> it actually leads to extinction, genetic impoverishment. Uh, for example, cheetahs are almost exact clones of each other. If their environment changes, they'll go extinct because they can't adapt anymore. They've lost genetic movement, as it were, to adapt to things. Right. And, um, so that's genetic impover impoverishment due mostly to speciation. Right. Um, poodles are a great showcase of that <laughs> as well. Talking I was going to bring dogs. up a chihuahua. Yeah. They are clearly, uh, they do not have the gene pool of a regular dog. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it means to be a degenerative evolutionist, essentially. Okay. And a supernatural creationist. So, yeah, so looking at theistic evolution, you mentioned that they don't take Genesis literally. What do they do with Adam and Eve? What do they do with the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Yeah, and um, this, is, this is where I kind of get into two of my main contentions with theistic evolution mm -hmm. is they're taking um, two worldviews. The supernatural worldview, which I just talked about, God is supersedes natural his natural world that he created. He's not bound to it. Um, Jesus is a great example of this. So when Jesus acts in miracles, um, for example, changing water to wine or healing a guy's ear that got cut off, mm -hmm. um, he can he can supersede natural processes. Right, right. Um, and so if he did that in his life on earth, why couldn't he have done that in his creation of the universe? Correct. And so. That's what, for me, it means to be a supernaturalist. Uh, but naturalism is based on nothing supernatural. So you have to have billions of years of naturalism to to create the possibility for life, which that, that fails. But just to get the progressive evolution, Correct. you need those billions of years. Um, and maybe even more, as, as even old earth creationists would say, billions is not enough time mm -hmm. for progressive evolution. And... Um, so, but um, they're going to try to fit it in whatever time they can get with that. Um, naturalism is based on the primacy of human observation and our mind. Um, so that's where theistic evolution borrows and kind of plays this. We're going to jump into supernaturalism sometimes. We're going to jump into naturalism because what human observation can do. So I use the, the example of Jesus changing water to wine. If you had a, a theistic evolutionist friend or a naturalist friend at the party, then, and say they went to the bathroom while Jesus turned water to wine, and they came out, and you're like, dude, you just missed it. You know, this was awesome. Jesus, he just had these stone jars. They put water in it, and bang, it's it's wine. I mean, the, the, the head guy at the party is like, this is good. Why'd you save the good stuff to the end? So, so people can argue old wine, new wine, not a lot, but the guy said it was good. And it's the same word in, in Greek that's used um, when they said the disciples were drunk when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because people said, well, I think they were drinking. <laughs> and Paul's like, no, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, guys, not the alcohol. So, so with that, your naturalistic friend is going to try to test the wine, see how old it is, uh, where the grapes come from, all that stuff, missing the supernatural event. And, 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 pretty much on the outset, um, dismissing supernatural causation. And so that's what you get into with theistic evolution is 
we're borrowing a worldview of naturalism, but we're still trying to stay in the supernatural worldview to answer questions of purpose, um, things that naturalism can't answer, origin of life, origin of universe, um, different things that, you know, life we know has, and, and information seems to always arise from intelligence. We have no known examples where information arises without intelligent intervention. And so, again, those are, those are where we get the theistic evolutionists who are kind of in this camp of naturalism and that primacy of human observation, meaning if we can't really observe it, then it's maybe not real. It's not meaningful. Um, versus supernaturalism, which says God is your prime, <clears throat> prime place where you get revelation and so God is the primacy versus man. And so those are those are the foundations of supernaturalism versus naturalism. Okay. So, yeah. <clears throat> so um, as far as I've seen, uh, studying into this idea of theistic evolution, it seems like there's two different camps that seem to be most prominent in this, this worldview. And that would be, those who think that there is um, ages between the days of Genesis, the day-age theory. And mm -hmm. then there's another one called the framework hypothesis. Both of them are interesting. So, yeah, I'd like to hear from you. What is this day-age theory? All right. And um, there's also the gap theory as well. Right, right. Um, with this. So day-age essentially says the, the days of Genesis um, are long periods of time. And so you have, um, you know, formation of the universe and earth, and then you have the earth's formation, then you have life, and then you have the animals, and humans come on the scene that sixth day, that sixth age, and then we're in the seventh age, essentially, of the rest of God. So they say he worked for six ages, and then he's resting on the seventh age. And this is also kind of the framework of old earth creation would fit into that framework um i believe so uh and then the framework essentially says uh we're using a lot of anthropomorphism with the framework theory that basically says god is communicating in a way we can understand and so it wasn't literal days um and things but god is putting the creation into a framework that's human that's understandable by humans. And so there's not real Adam and Eve's, there's humanity um, and things like that. And so they would also say, you know, when it speaks to God, looking at something, having eyes, having hands, um, stuff like that, he's, they're putting God into human aspects so humans can understand him. <clears throat> and um, so that seems to be uh, what I understand of the framework uh, so far. Uh, for the old earth um, creationists, they actually tend to be supernaturalists. They believe that God supernaturally created um, the kinds and there was speciation within there. So they would disagree in the Darwinian tree of life, which a framework okay. or, or a theistic evolutionist would agree with Darwin's tree of life. So God gets things started and works in through naturalistic progressive evolution to through that tree of life to get things um, so the Catholic Church is a great example of theistic evolution to where they hold that there were primates pre-human and then God kind of grabs a couple, one, two, whatever, and puts his puts a spirit, a human spirit, 
and one versus an animal spirit. And then that's your first humans. So those two apes that had a little bit less hair and had a little bit more of a human yeah. face, he's like, you two, I pick yeah. you, you guys, I'm going to call you Adam, I'm going to call you Eve. Yeah. So, but for example, older earth creationists would say no Adam and Eve were supernaturally created on that sixth age. Um, and so humanity has not been around for the previous ages, but so they would say humanity is pretty recent in, mm-hmm. the, in the sixth age. Uh, and, um, but they would be supernaturalists and they believe that the universe was, was put together supernaturally. Um, there's no evolutionary tree of life. So they believe in the orchard of life as well. And um, so older creationists tend to be, we just agree with the age of things, which with naturalism, but we disagree uh, that God is bound by naturalistic processes. Whereas a theistic <clears throat> evolutionist uh, framework, they tend to, I would almost say they say it like this. Jesus can be supernatural in his earthly ministry, but not in his formation of the universe in life, you know. Um, so, but because we understand things through naturalistic science, what? <laughs> see, he likes that. So, natu- <laughs> so God has to Give do her. God has to do things the way we understand them to have been done. Essentially, so that's that's one of the challenges with with um, having human primacy of observation uh-huh. is. Is you start limiting how God can do things based on how you understand them to have been done. So that's the real thing. And what that does is it turns God into the plow horse of naturalistic evolution. God is pulling creation through eons of time, mutation, struggle, um, death, suffering, death, pain. suffering, all that stuff to accomplish his good purposes. And he is bound into those processes in theistic evolution. And I have a big problem with that right? because that's basically putting your primacy, your mind over God and his revelation of who he is. That's and right. How he did it. That's putting the opinion of man mm-hmm. above yeah. what God said in his word. Yeah. So the real question is, who is God and how did he say he did creation? He doesn't necessarily say when he did creation, um, but he doesn't tell us a lot of things, whens and hows of even the supernatural beings and when he created them and and different things. We only get a couple verses of a possible supernatural incursion in Genesis six. And we're like, uh, what was that about? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But- um, so, so there's things that God seems to be like, you know, this is not my focus of my revelation to you. I'm trying to show you who I am. Um, I'm not giving you, and this, this is where, where you get into different biblical arguments for old earth, young earth. But, um, you know, the Bible is not meant to be a scientific primer on origins. It's meant to be a primer on God. Right. In that sense. Um, but that's where I come back to. We see Jesus creating fully formed functioning systems, um, fully regrown ears, people brought back to life, which is definitely not naturalistic. That's right. Um, uh, changing water to wine and these things that if you looked at them only through naturalistic glasses would look old. They, they, they couldn't happen, but through naturalistic processes. Um, and so only looking through certain glasses, naturalism, you're going to come up with old earth conclusions. And so I actually find it interesting because through all my research, it's like, could it be both young and old? Cause was that wine young? It was only minutes old. 
But was it old? Yeah. It was fermented. Right. It was naturalistically old, too. So it was both young and old. Fascinating. And that, to me, is a fascinating kind of conundrum to live between. And I think as a supernaturalist, that actually kind of makes sense. Because we live with a supernatural God who is not bounded by time or naturalistic processes. So we're Adam and Eve, fully formed functioning human being exactly exactly um, not born babies of primates or, or and they weren't you know. just sitting in an open field that yeah. was called a garden yeah so <laughs> so the bag even seeds. even genesis 2 it has it looks it's the way it's written seems like god especially creates um the garden eden before mm-hmm. adam's eyes mm-hmm. and even maybe some of the animals right he, i mean he's created them before but He's like, okay, here, I'm going to show you. weren't around for this. Let me show you what I did. <laughs> and boom, he, that's what, how he forms the garden, you know, for a man. And um, did it take, you know, you know, 50 years to grow the garden and Adam was just hanging out for that time? Or was that garden supernaturally progressed, just like the healing of the, the ear in the Garden of mm-hmm. Gethsemane? Um, or, or even, you know, grape juice to wine. It's supernaturally progressed uh, in that sense. So that to me is, is very fascinating that scientifically we could look at something and say that's old. Supernaturally we could look at the same thing and say that's young. And both are right. And I think that's where we kind of get into the conundrum of this because one of the questions, why does this matter? Why do the age of things matter? And you know, we look at the age of the world and I've, I've read, you know, stuff from old earth creationists and young earth creationists. And they're like, this is not a salvation issue. And I have some great friends who are old earth creationists. Um, I have a lot more contention with theistic evolutionists than old earth creationists because um, I don't want the old, old age thing um, or deep time to be a stumbling block for a new believer. And just like... You know, the apostles were dealing with spiritual gifts, food sacrifice to demons, you know, other things like that. Those were not salvation issues. Even baptism, in a sense, is not a complete salvation issue. Some people might disagree with mm-hmm. that. Um, so the age of something is not necessarily a salvation issue, but it leads to an inconsistency in worldviews. And I think that's where young earth creationists get really... Uh, they can get antagonistic. They can get really upset because they're borrowing that primacy of naturalism and fitting it to supernaturalism. And we get really nervous about that. And does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're basically saying, well, science says this. And if you've studied enough of science, you know it's handicapped. We can't observe. I mean, for 200 years, we can observe microscopic worlds, deep space, UV light radiation, radio waves, they're not real just because we couldn't observe them. But naturalism says, no, they weren't. Because only what you can observe is real, right. naturalism. Mm-hmm. And so um, so to take that worldview and mesh it to the supernatural can be dangerous because you can start stripping the supernatural out of the Bible. Was the incarnation really real? You know, right, were exactly. Were miracles of Jesus you know, when you that's start watering down the scriptures, that's like not that. scientifically possible that he could bring somebody back from the dead mm-hmm. or change water to wine. That's not scientifically possible. Just like creation couldn't be scientifically possible. And that's where I agree with John MacArthur, where he's like, creation was not scientific. It was supernatural. Uh, no one observed it. And 
So therefore, uh, I like how he says it. This is actually a quote from John MacArthur. There's no such thing as the science of creation. All science is based on observation, and no observation, uh, no one observed creation. So nowhere in, Gen in the Genesis account um, is there is there alluded to an evolutionary process, right? Which is right. interesting, exactly. So, and we'll get into what does day mean, yom, and, and all that that kind of stuff. Um, but these. The nature of God as a supernatural, outer-dimensional being is clear in the Bible. And when he does work supernaturally, it's pretty clear. He states that. The incarnation was supernatural. Jesus' gestation in Mary's tummy as a baby was natural. His birth was natural. But we never call, we don't call his birth a supernatural event. The, 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 the conception, the yes. conception was supernatural. <clears throat> and we, we understand that. Even in the flood, you know, God doesn't supernaturally make an ark for Noah, but he supernaturally brings the animals to Noah. Right. And so so we see even in certain biblical events, um, the Exodus, there's naturalistic parts and there's supernatural parts. And so, um, so I'm not going to say everything in the creation had to have happened supernaturally, necessarily. But does the Bible make clear that as eh, pretty supernatural? He spoke, um, he formed... And um, it says he makes woman from a rib. And even Paul reemphasizes that that um, man came from, that woman came from man, Paul says. And we're getting some verses on this. Um, so so the, the New Testament authors really echo the supernaturalism of creation as well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is important. So. <clears throat> All right. So let's look at this uh, day-age theory. To start with, and specifically what arguments they use to support the day-age theory and why we know they're wrong. Oh, why we know they're wrong. That's a, that's a challenge. I try well, not to get into that sometimes. <laughs> I could say why we know that might be inconsistent. Okay, so here's essentially the, the day issue. So Genesis, everybody knows there's day one, there's day two, there's, there's day three. There's day four, there's day five. Their book ended with morning and evening um, and different stuff. So the word yom uh, has four or five different meanings. I've heard some people say there's four. I've heard some say five. Um, so daytime, 24-hour period, part of a day, and um, an, an bounded period of time. Like, sure. like you'd say, hey, back in the day, remember back in, in the high day. school, back in the day? Um, it's actually used in Genesis when it talks about the day the earth was created. In, in the day of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's lots of other examples of of that word day or yom being used um, as that period of time. So it could be those four different meanings, but it's really context. And, um, you know, I've, I've watched and read a lot of the old earth creation explanations Hugh Ross would be uh, reasons to believe would be a predominant one and very interesting um, so the, the kind of the argument is is that word day could mean an, a kind of undefined period of time um, it could but it could mean 24 hours and that's right. that's where that's where they say well it could be 20 could be un, you know could be a, an epoch an a long period of time, um, but just because we want it to be that doesn't mean it's that. 
So, so, but there is, there is its context and mm-hmm. we all use that. Yeah. Um, so part of, part of it, um, part of the whole day argument is how did the original author mean it? And then what did the audience? So, and here we get into Western <clears throat> mindset versus Middle Eastern. Um, the, the Jews were definitely pre-scientific or pre-evolution, pre-Darwin, pre-naturalism. Um, all their neighbors were supernaturalists too. <laughs> they believed in gods mm-hmm. um, and and stuff like that. And so they, the, the early Hebrews would have had no problem with it being 24 hours. And, um, <clears throat> and when you search the Talmud, which I don't think the Talmud is is – inspired at all in fact I, I shouldn't even say i don't think it's certainly not there's a lot of stuff in there that's that's not but the talmud contains many commentaries by various rabbis they all considered the days of genesis 24 hour days mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so historically uh, um <clears throat> says okay it's not brought up in any of the creeds that it's a 24 hour period necessarily um like the church creeds or other stuff like that um so it's not part of theology necessarily um, but yeah, so, so the ancient Hebrews were definitely supernaturalists. Um, they didn't have, they didn't have to deal with Darwinism, you know, relativism, uh, naturalism as worldviews that they were really contending with and that they were writing against what they were writing against was, um, is this idea that supernatural beings were claiming to be the creator as well. So real beings, demons, um, beings who God created that defected sought the worship of humanity uh, sure. were claiming I'm the creator. Um, this is how I did it. And so God's like, um, let's set the record straight. And so Genesis is about setting the record straight. And, and so there's a piece of reactive theology writing in Genesis, but it's also writing about real things. And yeah. That's, that's where I, that's where I disagree with, with some people that say, well, it's pre-scientific, um, therefore it's it's you know Adam and Eve weren't real people. Um, it's it's the framework theory. Yeah, that's that's kind yeah. of the pre-scientific. And I'm like, well, they might have been pre-scientific, but they're not pre-reality. Right. We're talking that... about real people, real events. Because if they're not, when do you stop talking? I mean, so Cain and Abel weren't real. Um, Enoch wasn't real. Noah wasn't real. When, when does it start when becoming? It Where's become, that line yeah. where suddenly you go was from Abraham make believe real? the you know God's just given us a just so story? Hey, little Johnny, pat you on the head. Yeah. This is how it happened. This is how the raccoon got its mask. This is how the leopard got its spots. And oh, by the way, this is how the universe was yeah. created. Yeah, and and another big problem with with those being just fables that uh, convey spiritual <clears> stories <throat> is the New Testament writers and Jesus treat them as real characters, absolutely, and real absolutely. events. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons I'm putting together a book called Genesis Harmonized. Um, the whole Bible on origins, as it were, I, I, I came across a, a harmonized gospels where they add, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm-hmm. they kind of put them together. So it's a whole cool timeline. Somewhere in my book, bookcase back here. Yeah, I think I yeah. have that book. Um, and I'm like, what if we did that with origins <clears throat> and the Genesis narrative with the whole Bible? Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. Sure. And so it's, so as I started putting this together, it was like, where else does Noah show up? Um, where else does Adam and Eve show up? Where else does Enoch show up in the Bible? Where else does uh, the talk about God being outside of time, creating from nothing, where else does that show up? And 
it's become a fascinating book and Bible study. Oh, wow. That would be and a lot so of fun. I'm working on, I have it all written, <clears throat> but I'm compiling, designing, getting it all into a cool format so I can publish it and release it. So, so that's been a, a cool journey. But yes, Jesus claims uh, Moses is the author of Genesis. Mm-hmm. So was he just, was he wrong? Was he just, um, you know, playing along with his culture? Because they were too naive to know differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he says, you know, from the beginning, they were man and woman. What's this beginning? So we're going to get into what does the Bible say the beginning was? There was somebody who rebelled in the beginning. But that was that was the sixth day. So so if these events, the New Testament writers call the beginning. But that's six epochs in to creation. That's nowhere near the beginning. Right. The fall of man, the rebellion of Satan, um, the creation of man and woman are all, all alluded to in the New Testament as happening in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But if that was a couple billion years into the story, how can you call that the beginning? And some people say, well, that was the beginning of the human story. Um, so, <clears throat> and that's people <clears throat> in my opinion that's playing games with the text that's, that's, games, that's yeah. iso jesus that's reading yeah. into the text what you want to see yeah. but there are passages that speak of even that the creation of the of the first five or six days the first five days as beginning as well and so it, it brings those together right um, you know and when when you look at those days of genesis um <clears throat> And you look at it in in light of the idea that it could be long epochs. Mm-hmm. And then you just simply read the verse. You know, there was evening and there was morning the first long period of millions of years. There yeah, was and, evening and there was morning the yeah. second, you know. Yeah, and there's, there's only one other Hebrew word that means like age. Uh-huh. Um, that isn't used. And there's a Hebrew word for time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're really trying to convey longer periods of time, they could have done that. It's not a huge vocabulary. And that's and I agree with the, with the people who say, okay, it was written in Hebrew um, and English is way different. And so it's we can go to the Hebrew. We can examine yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take a PhD to do that. No, it doesn't. With, with the internet. My other biggest contention with theistic evolution and somewhat old earth creationist is a theological one. Um, now, if you've been around young earth creationism, you've heard the first part of this argument, but I haven't heard the second part very much. The first part basically says, um, so if, especially for theistic evolution, if God is using naturalistic evolutionary processes in creation, which chance is a big part of that, mutations, death, mm-hmm. suffering of animals, um, all of that, then you have Eden, God's creation, up to basically being built on millions of years of, of nature is red in teeth, you know, struggle, uh, uh, the survival of the fittest and what Darwin observed and what Darwin had a hard time reconciling that with a good creator. Um, he had some messed up theology, which messed him up <laughs> actually. So, um, but when people, th- this is a quick aside, um, when people say, Oh, you don't have a PhD in, in biology or, or geology. And I'm like, well, neither did Darwin. So you don't have to be a school PhD person to study this stuff. <laughs> and so that's why I'm like, okay, Darwin didn't have degrees in this stuff, but yet they revere him so highly. So, so an argument from authority 
is not a great argument. No, it's um, not. In that. So getting back to this, so 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 this is this is a pretty common argument. Is um, the Bible talks about death coming to man? It doesn't specifically spell out death coming to all of creation necessarily um, through the fall of man, but it does say in Romans eight that creation groans under the pains of sin and and wants to be lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I take this a step further. Is um, God, the whole Bible is looking forward to the restoration of creation. And so I asked myself if creation was always pain, suffering, death of, of even if you just say animals, um, is that what we have in heaven? And to me, that's, that's very challenging because God's very good creation is built on mutations, diseases, uh, pain, suffering, even just of the animal kingdom. That's pretty horrendous. Um, and so you take that and carry that to restoration. Will God do away with that? If that was part of his intended means of creation at the very beginning. Um, and it seems like the Bible, when you, when you read most of the passages together as man goes, so goes the creation. We were given dominion of the planet. So when we fall when we sin, it brings death to us, but also brings degeneration to the planet. And, the Bible doesn't specifically spell out if animal death was before the fall or not. It, it, it doesn't clearly spell it out, which is challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody it doesn't said, definitively yeah, say. Yeah. And you can look at a few texts and say, yeah, nah, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. referring to the animals too. But yeah. you can't 100% nail it down. Yeah. Um, and there is, I mean, there is um, carnivorism and predation. Um, I've seen some pretty good arguments for those being parts of degenerative evolution. Um, for example, just because something has claws and, and canine teeth like dogs, well, panda bears have that. Right. Fruit bats have that. So just because you have the features of a predator doesn't mean you're a predator. Those are 100% herbivores. And there's many examples of lions and sharks who are 100% herbivore. Um, so mm-hmm. you can you can do a search on uh, searchcreation.org for vegetarian lions and pull up articles and fun great stuff like that. plug so, searchcreation.org yes. i've plugged that several times before i think that was uh eric hoven and, and his team that put that together yeah. awesome yeah. uh place it, yeah. it ties together a whole bunch of different creation slash apologetics ministry websites and you search one spot and you only get the best results and you don't get stuck with a lot of the not yeah. so good it's, stuff. It's I gonna, know. it's gonna, it's, it's on the side of the young earth or supernatural creationist side. Mm-hmm. So it's not gonna pull things of old earth, atheistic yeah, evolution. You'll have to go to those specific sites to, to find information on those. That's sites. right. So, so it is biased, but their position everything has is a correct. So. <laughs> everything has a purpose. So. That's right. So, so that's one of my biggest theological contentions is um, what's worth, I mean, so, so if there was all this death, dying disease, even of just the animal kingdom, and that's part of creation and, and Eden. But the New Testament tells us to look forward to a restored Eden. Then what's heaven? I mean, maybe human death is removed, but still there's disease of animals and death of animals. And, and that's heaven. Wow. That's, that, how different is that from now? When from, you... from today. So that to me is, is a very challenging theological argument. Um, with the theistic evolutionary worldview, you have um, all those layers of strata that were laid down over 
millions and yeah. millions of years. Yeah. Well, when you inspect the, the strata and you're looking at the fossils in it, you find a lot of uh, disease. Yeah. You see cancer. Yeah. You also see something that's, that's quite fascinating. You see thorns. Now, thorns didn't come about until Genesis 3.18. Uh, and that was part of the punishment for Adam and Eve's sin. Uh, you know, cursed is the ground for your sake was the very preceding verse. And then it says that, that God brought forth thorns, basically. Um, yeah, and it's it's challenging because I've looked at that passage in the Hebrew. Uh-huh. It means beautiful and useless things, <clears throat> actually, in the Hebrew. Thorns. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit on the thorns thing. Okay. Um, because I've heard some arguments on both sides of that. Because um, we find things in the fossil record with thorns. Um, so they quickly develop thorns. Um, just like, you know, the animals with predation characteristics. Were those used to tear apart fruit, for example? So like the T-Rex, you know, the, the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. especially the carnivoristic dinosaurs, look pretty mean and gnarly. Did they just use that stuff to eat fruit? you know, or rip up roots and stuff like that. Were those, was that a rapid kind of degenerative effect, um, a degenerative evolution effect after the fall where they gained some of those characteristics So those are accentuated because variation of, because of the kind, because of struggle for survival, mm-hmm. those, those traits are highlighted to where they weren't before in the creatures. Sure. sure. Um, could that happen with thorns to where there were thorns there? They, they had a different purpose because uh-huh. um, even, <clears throat> even a plant's protection of itself is not sure. necessarily part of the fall. Sure. So, so that's, um, yeah, I'll have to, uh, and, and I don't think that that would be a new creation. Mm-hmm. The, the thorns, uh, as a judgment, I think it was variation from within a kind. Um, but yeah, if yeah. you look up thorns, uh, as far as strongs go, which strongs is not right every time, but it does say in the sense of pricking, and then it says a thorn. Okay. That's okay. about all you get. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Which I think it, it says thorns and thistles. Uh, thistles mm. being of uncertain derivation, a thorn, thistle. Huh. Mm. Okay. So uh, yeah. I heard that from Answers in Genesis. So okay. if that argument is incorrect, we'll go ahead and blame them. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's, it's illustrating a harshness of nature. Nature is essentially turned against humanity mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to where it, it was it was under the domain of humanity before. And right. you see that happening right. with the animals. Um, they were to be under the domain of humans and to serve essentially humanity. But the rebellion of humanity causes a rebellion of creation in a sense. Um, and that's mostly theological, but I think that could be fleshed out um, in other ways. So. Something else that doesn't sit right with um, uh, this day-age theory is the idea that uh, the fourth commandment, you know, uh, the father, he says that in six days, he created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. Likewise, we work six days. Mm -hmm. Some of us in America only work five, uh, but, and then we rest one, okay? And if you... Try to take the idea that it's six long epochs. That's a really long work week. Longer than any of us have time for. <laughs> there is no rest. Yeah. And, and for the Jews coming from a supernatural worldview, um, that would, would have been no problem. The creation being in 24-hour days or something right. like that. Um, 
So here, here is you want to hear the counter argument from from Absolutely. all this creation? Yeah, because um, I just I did some research. It says it was interesting on this. So the counter argument from an old Earth creation viewpoint is that God is is using the creation as an example. So humans need rest. If we keep going for seven days, seven days to work, we fall apart. We need a day of rest. Um, and then he, they gave the example of God gave an example of the work in the fields. So you have a human biological kind of clock that God sets up for them based on the creation model. And then in the agriculture, work your field for seven, for six years, let it rest on the seventh. Um, and so he was saying, well, there's a human model that's given. And then there's an agricultural model that's given in, in the laws as well. And so he was using that to say, um, so the creation could have been epochs, but he's, he's using that creation model as an analogy and putting it into human biological <clears throat> work six days, rest seven. The earth has worked six years, rested on the seventh. Um, right. And, and, and agricultural actually plays that out. You do need to let that earth rest and stuff. So that, that is the, uh, if I'm hopefully not misrepresenting it, would be the counter argument to that. Um, now, what, what it was interesting? It was interesting to, to to go through some of the back and forth on on the Exodus twenty passage. Yeah, and that's boy, that really feels like they're they're really stretching things to try and make it work. Uh, if you look at that passage, God Himself is defining the word day. In context, when you read it, he's actually defining what he means by a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, remember the Sabbath day. Okay, so now we're looking yeah. at a 24-hour day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within <laughs> your gates. For in six days... see. He's actually defining day here. In six Mm -hmm. days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Yeah, and and we know enough about Hebrew that I think I can safely say he could have written, and in in six periods of time, he created this. Right. To to create that clear analogy that it wasn't a 24... So if God was trying to be clear on this, then he would have had a differentiate differentiation between long periods of time and actual 24 hour days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you, I mean, you're going to run into some really serious issues. You know, God is outside of space and time. He can see into the future, right? Yeah, he yeah. knows the end from the beginning. He also knows, um, and, and I've talked about this in a lot of series in the past about Judaism, uh, the Jews make excellent lawyers, <laughs> okay? It's because they've been raised up on the Torah, the first mm-hmm. five books of the Bible, the laws of Moses. And they know these laws, they know them inside and out, and they always find ways to, unfortunately, and this is just our sinful condition as man, but they're always looking for ways to dodge it. Various yeah. uh, uh, legal uh, um, um, well, just laws mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Now, if there was any wiggle room there, uh, the lawyers would have found it. Okay, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Uh, but they understand that God was defining what he meant by six 
actual 24-hour days. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for today. We're going to have two more parts with David Harrison talking about this subject. Um, hey, guys, if you like this podcast, do me a favor. Uh, go on to iTunes and leave me a good review. If you could, I would really appreciate that. What that does, well, let me put it this way. Usually when people leave reviews, they have something mean and nasty to say. <laughs> and I have several people on iTunes that have left me nasty reviews. I think there's been multiple Roman Catholics, uh, some Word of Faith types, and I think there might have even been a couple witches. I haven't checked uh, in a while, but my wife reported to me, hey, you've got, you've got some good reviews, but you've also got some pretty angry people. Uh, one guy even went as far as to call me a false prophet, which is kind of funny. But anyway, yeah, leave me a review. I would really appreciate that. Uh, and anyway, with that, love you guys, and we'll see you next week.